Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... Genevieve Jack. Yes, we do. And it was fantastic. It was such a great interview. Yes. And I think the main takeaway from that, from her interview, is making a plan that's sustainable for your author business. Yep. And um, she had tons of great tips, though, about like being wide and like planning your, we talked about series arc and book arc. So yeah, lots of good stuff in there. It was really great. And I think the sustainability, there's a lot that can fall under that umbrella. And mm-hmm. um, I just, I was, it was just great. I was very inspired uh, listening yeah. to her and, and hearing how, she, how well she's done and yeah. how um, methodical she's been about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been going on with you? Well, we're still settling in. Yes. And um, I'm working on a project. I've doing I'm doing a new desk. And so I have oh. two filing cabinets and I decided I would you can order a countertop from oh. Lowe's or Home Depot that's like a butcher block countertop. Yep. So I'm gonna put that across the filing cabinets. And so we unwrap it, it, it arrives, you know, we've been waiting for delivery. So it arrives, it's shrink wrapped. We oh. unwrap it, and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And it's stained, but there's a little note in there and it says this needs to be sealed within 48 hours. And I was like, sealed, what, what are we doing here? I don't understand. So I researched it out. It has to be sealed with like a polyurethane yeah. thing. So right now it's out in the garage on sawhorses yes. and I'm out there like sealing, sealing it. <laughs> <with> <laughs> in, max in I know. Yeah. yeah. But it should make it go really fast. Yes. So, so once I get that done, I, I wasn't planning on doing that, but um, so still a couple of little things, but the office is coming together and that's great. Maybe I'll be able to get back to writing in a week or two. I'm thinking. Yeah. So what about you? What are you doing? Um, nothing, just continuing to uh plow along in this edit. And um you know, I'm done what I do, which is doubt everything I've done, even though my developmental editor has said, Jamie, this book is great. Like that. Just clean it up a little bit, add a little emotion here or there. This is a good book. You're, it's just, it's, it's a good. I've worried about whether it's good. I've worried <laughs> about whether I should change things. And, you know, I talked to her last night and she was like, it's easy to do that. She's so sweet. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's easy to do that. But really, I think you just need to stay the course. <laughs> Basically, shut up and finish your book. And um, she's so nice. She would never do that. Uh, but, yeah, so I've just been doing that. I have a page a page count that I have been doing every day. And mm-hmm. um, some days I've gone over and some days I've just hit it. But um, we're keeping four of our six grandchildren <laughs> this weekend. And they're two and under, all four of them. So Just a little busy. A little busy, but I will... Uh, <laughs> I will get my pages done because they nap and, you know, they go to bed yeah. and stuff, so I'll get it done. But I did want to say that last week I set, talked about the boyfriend, uh, the audiobook boyfriend material by mm-hmm. Alexis Hall. So great. Such a, it's just, if you love 
English comedy, you know, mm -hmm. British comedy and uh, just that witty, sarcastic sense of humor. You will love this book. It is just so great. Um, it is male male and it was just really done well and uh, yeah, loved it. And then also last night, uh, we binged the first season of Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I've heard a lot mm -hmm. of people talking about it. Y'all, it is so funny. It's also <laughs> British humor, but it is it is a an American Midwesterner come over to Britain to oh coach a soccer team, and he's a American football coach. And okay. he comes, yeah. And so this this whole thing. It's, uh, it's very sweet, but it's also very funny. And my husband doesn't laugh out loud very often. Um, and he laughed out loud several times. So it was, it was so two thumbs up. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Yeah. He doesn't think I'm funny at all. So, you know, <laughs> but um, it is, yeah, it's, that's funny. Yeah. It was great. So but, yeah. well, uh, you had a podcast, didn't you? I do. And it yeah. fits in perfectly with this oh, because great. yeah, it's um, from the creative pen, writing humor and insights from law from a long-term creative career with Scott Decker, Dickers, I guess, D-I-K-K-E-R-S. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's all about humor and oh, all good. about writing funny and um, how writing funny is hard. Yes. <laughs> James <Preach>. is, amen. <laughs> and just, but it's very specific about like techniques you can use. Like he breaks it down. He's the one that, um, He's a, I don't know if he's the founder or the creator of the onion. I can't remember. Yes, you know, yes, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he talks about like, he's very technical. He's like, okay, what you do is like, this is how you can make things funny. Like you take the situation and it was just very interesting because it was a very analytical look at humor. Yeah. And I thought you would enjoy it because yes. we talk about this a lot about how it's, it's hard to write humorous stories yeah. and it's, it, and it goes over like how to create humorous, humorous characters Yes. And so I just, I enjoyed the whole thing. So I got his book. I, I will definitely listen. I will definitely listen. I haven't, I'm very behind on my podcast. Oh, me too. Because I have been listening to audiobooks. So that always throws me off a little bit. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, humor is, <laughs> wow. it's hard to be funny. It's, it's work to be to funny. Be, and he, it's work. And it yeah, is. he talks about how like you have to refine it, that yeah. it's not just something that normally you don't just, come out with a funny book or a funny character, you have to work on it. Yep. And so I think that's yep. the misconception about humor is that it's easy. It is. And it's not. It is. It's not. It's not. <laughs> so anyway, so I'd recommend that. And that is like, I'm doing nothing else, but like unpacking boxes and, and like trying to catch up with all the things we have going. It's like, I don't know. We've moved a lot, but it's still a lot of work every time. I don't know why it we is. keep moving. It is. <laughs> Well, I don't either. I oh, they'll probably have to bomb us out of our house because I'm telling you, I never want to move again. But but then I'm like, I'd really like to be in Dallas or at least closer to Dallas because uh, Houston is so far from my grandkid from the majority of my grandkids. So yeah, uh, we'll just have to see. I don't. Think, well, I don't you're think smart. That. Stay put. Yeah. Don't don't do yeah. it. That's my <laughs> advice right now. All right. Uh, well, we well, should get, get to the interview. This, yeah, because Genevieve has such great stuff to say. Yeah. All right. So here's the interview with Genevieve. All right. Today we have Genevieve Jack with us, and we're really excited to talk to her. How are you today? Great. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here today. Uh, we're so glad you're here. So let me read your bio. 
USA Today bestselling author Genevieve Jack writes wild, witty, and wicked hot paranormal romance and fantasy. Coffee and wine are her biofuel. The loves of the love lives of witches, shifters, and vampires, her favorite topic of conversation. And she harbors a passion for old cemeteries and ghost tours, thanks to her years at a high school that was rumored to be haunted. Her perfect day involves the beach, her laptop, and one crazy dog. <laughs> love that. Love that. Uh, well, tell us how you got into writing, Genevieve. Well, you know, uh, I'm one of those people who I can remember being really young and wanting to write books. Like my first book that I ever finished was The Dog Who Ate Pancakes. And it was oh. I was like five years old and <laughs> I did the whole where you draw the pictures on the papers and you yeah. staple them together and then you force your mom and dad to read it and all that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I grew up, I, I was raised by a florist and a sheet metal worker. And so, you know, when it got to be about time to go to college, it was not a situation where they were saying, oh, yeah, you should go into creative writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was not, that was not the conversation that was being had at my house. It was more like, what are you going to do so that you can get a job immediately when you graduate? So I ended up majoring in um, accounting oh. and I worked for uh a major insurance company. I was a portfolio manager for many years. And then I had my kids. And when I stayed home uh, with, I decided to leave the workforce and stay home with my kids. Um, I started writing flash fiction, which is a thousand words or less. And I, I was getting some published. And this was kind of before the age of Kindle, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when my kids went to school, that wasn't really enough to keep me busy. So I went to nursing school. You know, this is like the typical, I think you hear this a lot from writers that they go in a lot of different directions mm -hmm. because they're um, examining the world from a lot of different angles. And I am, I was the same way. So I went to nursing school and I wrote my first book, which was um, under my first pen name, GP Chang, The Soul Keepers. And uh, in 2010, I, uh, I became a registered nurse and finished that book. Uh, and I was um, shopping it around to agents and I went to conferences with it. And I was getting all this positive feedback, but it just wasn't selling. You know, it was a YA book and it dealt with some religious themes and people thought it was a little bit too risky, I think, for the market. And then we had this thing called Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> and I had some friends say, oh, why don't you just throw it out there and see how it does? And so I did. And um, that book started a series that sold about 400,000 copies. So I never had to take that job as a nurse. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's wonderful, though. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So that was the start. And then it, it was uh, around 2012 that I wrote my first book as Genevieve Jack uh, mm -hmm. and made the switch to um, paranormal romance. And that is what I'm writing today. Yeah. How many of the GP Ching books did you write? Uh, there are 12 books under GP Ching. Wow. Wow. That, that is just shock. I mean, shocking and amazing and wonderful. That's <laughs> wow. So, and then you, you changed to Genevieve Jack right. who writes the paranormal paranormal romance. romance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what well, year was that? I started writing under Genevieve Jack in 2012, but I was writing under both names up until a, about 2017, I think my last GP Ching book came out 2017 or 20 early 2018. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I retired that name. And now I only write under Genevieve Jack. That's yeah. right. 
Well, this, you may have already answered this one, but one of our questions is what was your first big success? Would you say launching that first book? Yeah, the Soul Keepers for sure. The Soul Keepers series was my first big success. And then under, under the Genevieve Jack name, um, certainly the Ghost in the Graveyard and the Night Game series, mm-hmm. I, I had similar success with, with that series. Um, and now um, the Treasure of Paragon, which is I'm, what I'm working on right now, which is a dragon shifter romance series, is actually outpacing both of those series. So, um, yeah. How many books are in that series? There will be nine, and I'm currently writing book eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And how often do you release? I do three to four books a year. Okay. And usually not any I may have done five books in a year if one of them was a novella in a past Mm -hmm. year, but really if I do three a year, I'm fine or four. Yeah. That's a great release schedule. I think, I mean, I I know some people would say that's not very fast, but I personally think that's fast and great. (laughs) I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this since 2011 and I would say that I've seen many shooting stars in this industry who mm-hmm. try to put out 12 books a year and they can do it for a year, but it's like running a marathon. Yes, right. you can run the marathon, but can you run the marathon tomorrow? And can you run the marathon the next day? Right. And I've always approached this business with an eye for sustainability. Mm-hmm. I feel like my processes um, are things that I will be able to do until I'm 90 mm-hmm. and I'll still have um, a healthy neck and a healthy back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I and exercise relationships with your right. family and friends. Right. Yeah. I'll still be married. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, um, am not a big proponent of writing faster, even that though, that will make you more money in the short term that will make you, you know, uh, you can really achieve some excellent things if you can release every month, you know, but I've always thought, uh, uh, sustainability was important. Right. Yeah. So did you start out like that? That was your goal, just a couple of books a year. You didn't try to do the one book every hour. It seems like something <laughs> no, no. Three to three to four books a year. I have yeah. a, a pretty standard process of um, how I plot, write, and then edit the books. And I stagger those things and it works out perfectly to release like once a quarter. So that's great. That's, That's great. Fantastic. Yeah, it really is. So what do you wish you'd known about writing and craft when you first started? Oh, um, I love this question because <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with craft. But before I wrote, when I was writing flash fiction, I you know, read all the books and I went to conferences and I was part of organizations and did my research. And the thing is that there's so much advice out there that are, that's like, don't use adverbs. Don't a show. Don't tell. <laughs> You're all shaking your head. So you've all heard this, right? Um, passive voice is bad. And the more books you put out, I think you finally come to the conclusion that really what all those pieces of, of advice are getting at is that you're trying to elicit emotion in your reader. Right. And if you can't make your reader feel anything, they won't keep reading and they won't right. want to buy your next book. So now when I write, I am only focused on one thing, and that is how I want my reader to feel in a scene, and how can I get them to feel that, yeah. and, and eliciting that emotion in them. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing with craft. If you, if you can elicit emotion, uh, the other stuff will fall in line. It'll, yeah. just, it'll be good by default. 
Right. I agree with that completely. Um, I always say that you can salvage a, a, a mediocre book with a really good ending that makes people close it and go, oh, yeah. you know, and so, yes. and because they, that's the last thing they remember. Um, but right. yeah, I agree. And I've been thinking about that a lot because, you know, I, I grew up in Romance Writers of America and there are a lot of rules. I don't know. <laughs> yes. There yes. are a lot of rules. And, um, and they were good for me when I was learning to write, but mm-hmm. I have been thinking about them a lot and thinking, you know what? I think they they were good guidelines and there's something I always sort of keep in the back of my mind, but I really mm-hmm. just want to tell the story. And yeah. sometimes, right, right. sometimes telling the story the way I want to tell it requires me to do a few things that might be breaking some of those rules or bending them somehow. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's okay. You know, It's mm-hmm. okay. It is yeah. okay. It's good yeah. for your creative mu- muse too, I think, I to set her free. Yes, yes. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really good blog post by, um, I think, Ann R. Allen. Just, I read it just yeah. last week and it was called um, Writing Rules Versus Writing Fashion. Mm-hmm. And like what's in fashion right now is like the lean prose and no adverbs or adjectives. And so, but if you look back, you know, it wasn't always that way. And if you read classic writers, it may not be that way. So I think it's yeah. like, you have to figure out like when you're learning, it's good to learn what the rules and the fashion are. Yes. And then yes. you can kind of like negotiate your way through it to kind of get your own style. But yeah, I didn't understand that either in the beginning. And I was like, Oh no, I have too many that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. <too many> that's. <laughs> things like that. Right. Yeah. Well, what do you, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? You know, marketing was something I really struggled with in the beginning because I focused so much on craft that I didn't, I didn't think about how was I going to sell this book at all. (laughs) Um, And I just got lucky that it it kind of took off virally. But um, I think, uh, you know, my logo now is Genevieve Jack is a witch sitting on a crescent moon blowing heart-shaped kisses (laughs) so you know that's like pretty much in the center of the bullseye of paranormal romance you know you look at that and you think paranormal romance and so I think when I'm I'm talking to other authors I think what's important is that you don't confuse the reader if you're going to write paranormal romance have a logo that looks like paranormal romance have a name that (laughs) that sounds like paranormal romance write paranormal romance don't right. write you know romantic suspense right. and then switch to contemporary uh, because if the the easier you make your audience make it for your audience to find you and and look at you and know exactly what to expect the better mm-hmm. and you can build on that so you know i do run ads through facebook and and ams but if you have a solid brand everything else works better your website works better your Mm -hmm. advertising works better so number one thing is get the branding down yeah 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 i agree yeah 100 percent. we talk about that all the time yeah give you give the give the reader what you promise them with what with your branding and you'll be and you'll find your audience because there's an audience looking for that so yeah so do you feel when you switched from YA to paranormal romance, do you feel that, did your brand change at all? Or is it still the same brand, just writing a different genre? Oh, completely different. And that was a, a huge, huge mistake, actually. Um, mm-hmm. When I was writing as G.P. Ching, I was writing a semi-Christian religious fantasy. Mm-hmm. 
not not Christian fan- fantasy per se, but inspirational fantasies. I would mm-hmm. I would call it. And um, when I switched to writing Genevieve Jack, I wasn't careful about um, hiding the fact that I was writing under Genevieve Jack, who writes steamy paranormal romance. And so people found out. People, my audience mm-hmm. from GP Ching found out and crossed over. And it wasn't that I advertised it right. per se, but they mm-hmm. found out. And I have have some scathing one star reviews about how they're never going to write anything that I write, you know, I write again, never read anything I'm going to write again because I have sex in the Genevieve Jack books. And um, those things shall never meet, you know, (laughs) Uh, those two brands shall never meet. And so it made it I made it very difficult for myself uh, in that way. Uh, Thank goodness I wrote it under two different names and didn't try to do it. You know, some people would do it under the same name. But um, even with that, it, they were very different brands. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. And I think a lot of times it's really hard to keep pen, pen names separate yes. because people find them. You have to, I don't know how you keep it totally quiet. Right. You know, right. I think it's really hard. So It is hard. But I think you make a really good point that our listeners need to really hone in on if you're thinking of writing in two distinctly different genres, you, you can't just assume they're going to cross over. In fact, you should assume they're not and, and then act accordingly. Mm. Um, Like I know um, like Cecilia Mecca, who we've talked to before Mm. um, she wrote historical uh, well, like medieval Mm -hmm. romance. And then she went to paranormal and she did it under the same name because she sort of tried to tie the medieval to the right vampires <laughs> and that, you know, and it didn't work. So then she went and she wrote, um, later she wrote some contemporary under an, a pen name and kept that separate, but found it was very hard to keep separate. But the pen name, even though it's contemporary romance, is still the same steam level, same, you know, right. it's a better crossover. <clears throat> it's a completely different genre, but it's a better crossover than the vampires were to medieval and stuff. And and all I- those demographics you just mentioned are different targets. Like mm-hmm. if you run advertising, those are different targets. Yes. So yes. you have to have a, if you put them all under the same brand, it, it's tempting to put them all under the same name because it's a lot of work to maintain separate websites and separate names and separate logos. But uh, what will happen is your cost per click is just going to be higher yeah. because um, you're trying to be everything to all people and right. that's hard to do. Right. I think she's, she's found a balance now, but it's taken her yeah. a while. And, and, you know, I think she would tell, I mean, and she did say on the podcast, don't do that, you know, like <laughs> try to keep things separate if you can, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot it of work. It is a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Interesting. I was really thinking about this question. And um, one of the things was, I really thought I was settling for self-publishing <laughs> because yeah, yes. I had gotten such great feedback from agents and, and uh, editors. And I thought, you know, I missed out on this traditional publishing thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if I could only be traditionally published, they would put so much money behind my marketing yeah. and get my <laughs> name out there. You know, this is like 2011. And obviously that didn't happen. I, I right. self-published. And now, after 10 years of talking to authors from all over the globe who've been both self-published and 
uh, traditionally published, I know that so many people who get traditionally published are disappointed with their um, publisher's investment in their work and wish mm-hmm. that they would have self-published. There's nothing wrong with traditionally publish- publishing. Um, that I n- also know some people who have great, great deals and it's really worked for them. But um, for me, I, I have come to a place where I realize that probably what I did for myself was better than what a publisher could have done for me at the time with the book that books that I was writing. Yeah. So um, that was a surprise to me though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I think I thought, well, you know, I'll put, because I wrote another book under another name, I co-wrote and it was sort of in that same space you're talking about inspirational, you know, and um, I thought, well, we'll, we'll sub publish this, but I won't really feel like a real writer until I get a deal, right. you know, a traditional right. deal. And I put that book up and I was like, uh, hell no, I'm a writer. Yeah. Like this works out for me. Okay. Right. You know, and, and even though we weren't making any money with that book, it was still like, okay, I don't really need that validation. I, I thought I did, but I don't. And, but I agree there, there are some traditional authors that have some great deals. I'm in a clubhouse, uh, clubhouse is an app and, um, yeah, I'm in a room with them and, just I just listen to some of the things they say, and some of them are just super happy with their traditional deals, and and it was it's encouraging because you know not every tradition self publishing is not for everyone. It is, and yeah. so it's good to know that there are still some people that are really really happy with their traditional deals, and they're not they're not necessarily authors that have been around for a long, long time. You know, they're they're newer authors and stuff. If I was writing literature, something that Mm -hmm. would fall into the literature category, I would definitely want to be traditionally published. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, these are actually romance authors. And so, um, Oh, excellent. Yeah. And they're really happy. So I I love that, but that's just not for me. That wasn't, that wasn't the road I chose. And Sarah, you did both. So. Yeah, I did traditional publishing to begin. And then I found out about indie and I was like, oh, because there were things about traditional publishing that were very frustrating to me, like not being able to control my covers and pricing. And and, and if you start doing something in traditional publishing, if you're writing, like I was writing a mom, a mom lit mystery is what they were called, you know, mm-hmm. with the kind of category, they want you to keep doing that because right. if it's, well, they want you to keep doing that. So that's why so many traditionally published series in mystery have like book 27, you know, like they just go on forever. And I, and so I, you know, when I found out I could write whatever I wanted and, you know, later on you have to think about marketing, but yeah. I was just like, so have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Um, mm, um, I would say, you know, part of that is, um, indie publishing, you know, that I hadn't intended uh, initially to um, indie publish. But also, um, thinking back, my first covers, (laughs) I hired a guy who I went to elementary school with. And he was, he was an artist, but he wasn't a book cover designer. He was just Mm -hmm. some, somebody who I knew who, you know, did some art. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, you want to make my book book cover? (laughs) And you know what? He was so talented and he did it and he did a good job and it sold. But look, now looking back, I would never recommend that someone hire someone like from their family or someone who wasn't an an experienced book designer. Because if you think about it, um, there are so many 
very specific things that those people mm-hmm. have to know about genre, about the size, about the everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so big, big mistake. They're like looking back, <laughs> but it just, I just got lucky and it worked out for me. Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, and about it, what about the opposite? Have you ever had something you thought this is going to be a home run and then it turned out to not work at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit that back in maybe, maybe it was 2015 or 16, um, I had an author talk me into doing a couple um, box sets mm-hmm. where it's like 20 authors in the anthology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think I, it, was a, it was a USA Today aiming set. And um, I didn't know the other people in the set. I had paid for it and signed the contract like a year in advance to be in the set. And then it was nothing but drama because it's like the worst uh, group project you ever had in school. You know, you have people who who don't finish their book in time. You have people who don't do the marketing that they they said that they would do and they sign a contract to do. Um, Everything that could put possibly go wrong you have people who who complain you have people you know um who cause a scene whatever but it's drama 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 and that's you know the time that I invested in those sets I feel like oh if I could have gotten that back I could probably have written two two more books (laughs) that year yeah yeah and um the whole reason that I did them was to try to hit a list which I ended up doing on my own ironically (laughs) with with the dragon of new orleans but um, it's not, it doesn't help you. Get, just hitting, just hitting a list doesn't help you. It helps you to hit a list with your own book because then that specific book, you can say, hit a list. Right, but right. to say that you are a USA Today bestselling author at this point is so watered down because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has it, that it doesn't, it doesn't help you get a book bub. It doesn't help you really sell books. Readers don't even notice most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would not, I would not do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that for me, that was more like a a personal thing that I would have loved to hit the list just because it's such a rare thing. I mean, it's still difficult to do. It's easier than it used to be because like if you can get a book bub and coordinate things, then so, you know, you have a good chance sometimes. But um, I think that's one of those things that it matters more to other authors than it does to readers. Don't you think? I mean, it's like many, like, I do see like you go in bookstores and libraries, they'll have the list of these are the top books this week in USA Today or New York Times or whatever. But most readers, they're really not that into it. Right. And, you know, if you're in an anthology, I should say this, that if you're in an anthology that is authors that you know very well and they're similar to you. So everything's, you know, paranormal romance, dragon shifters. There's eight of you in the box. I will say that that might find you new readers. But if you're doing a box set that has 20 people in it, yep. chances are the reader is never even going to yeah. read, like no. reach your book. And so you're not even going to get mm-hmm. more audience from that right. set. Right. So um, that's where I would say don't do those huge sets. Yeah. If I could go back in time and tell myself <laughs> not to do it, I would say don't no. do it. Well, I agree. Um and Sarah, I'll yeah. say this because she will never say this, but Sarah hit with her with one with her own book. And I remember when she hit, she called me and she was like, nobody else will really understand this. But 
<laughs> I just did with my own book and it was really exciting. So I, I would tell her, uh, I would tell that story for her because I know she won't tell it for herself. <laughs> um, and I want to ask you, I'm looking at your sticky board uh, behind yeah. you. So yeah. tell me how you plot these long series that you have. Do you do a, um, is it an individual book or do you have an overarching arc? I mean, how, and do you know that from the beginning? How do you do that? Uh, yeah, I do. And it's crazy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> recommend people, other people do it. <laughs> because it's really, really hard. I got to tell you, I'm writing book eight right now. And I have this massive spreadsheet uh, book Bible to keep everything straight, all the mm-hmm. characters straight and everything. But how I do it is uh, you can see behind me, yes. um, the, the listeners won't be able to see it, but it basically I have what looks like a calendar and it's uh, Cherry Adair's uh, method is, is what I built my method around. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a series of um, sticky notes that uh, show I have basically one per chapter for my first draft. Mm-hmm. It usually works out that they're not exactly one per chapter. You know, my books yeah. are longer than 30 chapters, but I start yeah. out kind of planning them that way. And I use different colors to denote who the point of view is. So uh, the hero, the heroine, and then usually I have the bad guy has their own point of view. Oh, okay. And then in my series arc, uh, my, my main character of my series, which is that the, the heroine of the book one Uh has a point of view that follows through the whole series and kind of carries you through the series arc. So in my books, each book in my nine book series focuses on one specific couple. So you can read it as a standalone of what happens to that couple. Uh But in that book, there will also be chapters that are like, series chapters Mm -hmm. that build the overall arc which is a fantasy arc because i i write fantasy romance Mm -hmm. in this this one and so it has to do with um the treasure of paragon is about uh nine dragon heirs to the throne of paragon that are exiled when their mother murders their eldest brother Mm -hmm. and so they're exiled to earth and then they find each of them find their romance, but over the course of the arc, it's them taking back the kingdom. Okay. So before I started writing book one, I had to know how each couple sort of fit like a puzzle piece mm-hmm. into this story of how they were going to take back the kingdom. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I built build out these charts for each book, but then I have a um shorthand that I build out the whole series arc and just one page for each book, how that's going to fit into the overall um, arc, if that makes sense. That's so tricky. I just admire people that do that because because each book has to move that that right not just the story of that book forward, but it has to move the whole art forward. Yes. And, uh, I just, I, that's so fascinating to me. Right. I, haven't, I haven't done that. Mine are all standalone in the series and I don't have any overarching thing, but I would like that's to That's the smart way to do well, it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I bang my head against the wall. <laughs> Why didn't oh, I think my. of this in book one? Yeah. Well, so do you, how close are your like when you start planning at the beginning, like before you start the series, and then yeah. when you finish the series, 
how does it do your arcs and your storylines change or do they stay kind of the same? Uh, I don't plot down to the granular level. So it's always different, but the, some of the basic, the basic things, the things like the order of the characters, how they're introduced. Um, usually their, their major traits stay the mm-hmm. same, but then mm-hmm. there's a lot more magic and world building that uh, comes into play. But you mm-hmm. just lost a sticker. I just saw it float to the ground. Ah! <laughs> oh no. That, <laughs> that's okay. One. I'm actually done with that book. So. <laughs> that one goes to the editor uh, on the fifth. So oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. And oh, I wanted to ask that too. Like as far as your schedule goes, do you, um, like, are you writing one book while one book is at the editor or mm-hmm. is that how it works? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I usually um, start the first draft of the next book while, while a book is at the editor or I plot the next book, depending on where I am in the, in the series, series of steps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, just jumping back to marketing real quick, cause you talked sure. about Facebook ads. Do you, are you, Wide or I'm sorry, I, I don't remember. Yes, I am. Have only ever been wide. Ever been I wide. don't spend much. I tried Ku very early on, and it didn't work for me. Right. Um, I am a, one of the rare authors that I actually make more money uh, at the other retailers than Amazon. Oh. Only about um, maybe 45, 48 percent of my income comes from that's Amazon. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think that's encouraging for people to hear. Yeah. Um, And so how you use Facebook ads, do you use Amazon ads as well? I do. Um, I spend more on Facebook than Amazon, but I found that uh, when you are wide, if you spend a little bit on AMS ads, it seems to help your rank maintain there. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do have some that I just run all the time. I have like a brand ad and a a few product ads that Mm -hmm. are for, um, I build my ads like an entire series, not just one book. Yeah. Um, and, um, I've had some, some good luck with, with AMS. And then do you do the first in series free or? Yeah. 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 I'm a big proponent of first in series free. It's worked very well for me and it's, it's kept working. You know, it, it works as well today as it worked in 2011 or 2012. That's and there's not very many things yeah. you can say that about in our no. industry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Nothing, that's very true. The, there are very few things you can say worked yesterday that worked today. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah, so yeah. that is just great. That's wonderful. Well, for, I know there are a lot of people that would like to go wide in mm-hmm. um, maybe next year, you know, like people, I think there's a trend in the industry or in publishing in, in the authors that they would, there are a lot of more and more people who would like to go wide. So do you have any um, other tips or suggestions besides the first in series free and um, ads, just anything else that might help people transition over? Sure. Um, I think that with the other retailers, uh, it becomes important to pay attention to how the user interacts with their site. So for instance, um, with Apple, um, if you have an Apple product, you can kind of tell uh, which um, prom- uh, uh, merchandising opportunities are there for your books. So you have to know, if you run into a rep, say an Apple rep, you have to know what to ask for, right? right. So you might want your book in the 
first in series free promotion in your category. But if you don't know if that 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 exists right. because you've never been on their site, you don't know what to ask for. And if you right. just ca- come to them and say, oh, I just want some merchandising. Yeah. You know, it's pretty general. You might, yeah. It's pretty general. You might get it. You might not. You know, yeah. they might not really understand what you're delivering. So same thing with Kobo. Kobo has tons of merchandising opportunities. A lot of people neglect them. They never mm-hmm. apply for them. Um, I try to apply for one every month. Barnes & Noble has the same thing. They have a merchandising tab. You can apply for merchandising every mm-hmm. month. That stuff is very important because that is how their readers find your books. It's yeah. different. It's completely different on Amazon, right? On Amazon, mm-hmm. it's all about the algorithm. Right, if you right. can get your book up, then they automatically merchandise you. It's just yeah. just happens. But that's not how the other retailers work. So you ha- really have to foster those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, very good advice. Very good advice. Well, it has been so fun having you here. This has been just really interesting. So tell us, what do you think the one thing you've done or the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success has been? I would say um, definitely having an eye for sustainability. (laughs) And I talked about this a little bit before. But uh, start how you intend to go. Mm-hmm. So if you don't intend to publish 12 books a year every year for the rest of your life, don't publish 12 books a year because that will be what your readers then come to expect of you. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do on an ongoing basis. And so mm-hmm. I think that people, um, you know, we, I exercise every day. I cook for my family every day. I, <laughs> I talk to my kids every day. And when they were younger, I went to all their things, you know. Yeah. So you have to have some balance between what we do, which can completely take over your life and your personal life. Or what will probably happen is you'll start having, you know, after a couple of years in the business, you'll start having trouble with something, um, yeah. whether it's your neck or your back mm-hmm. or um, you just can't keep up with your own schedule. Yeah. And so sustainability. <laughs> yeah. I think and that's I think, key. I think that's just so smart because that's not what, well, that's certainly not what Sarah and I heard when we first came into <laughs> no. business. Uh, but I don't think it's what a lot of people hear either. And I think that starting the way you want to finish is so, that's just so brilliant and, mm-hmm. and something really I mean, it's a good mantra to keep in your mind mm-hmm. as you're going through and you're seeing other people doing all the things. Uh, yes. Because I know people that have done those things and are just completely burnt out now and completely burnt out. Yes, yeah. or in pain. In you pain. know, yeah, I, exactly. how many people do you know who develop fibromyalgia or yeah. or they have horrible uh, issues? You know, yeah. because they just chain themselves to their laptop for two years that yeah. will yeah. that will kill you you know yes, it will. so um yeah i think yeah. it's important it's, it's like you need to be self-disciplined in yeah. a way like when you start like there's so many things you know that we can do but if we can mm-hmm. you know decide okay this is my my plan and not get distracted by yeah, right. all the other possibilities yeah. you know yeah. so yeah that's a a very uh good advice Right. And I think that difficult that to follow of, sometimes. I think I know. So. I think that can call back to what you said earlier about branding, mm-hmm. which is know what your brand is, know right. what you're know what you're trying to what you're putting out there and who you're putting out there to, because those are your readers. And 
you know, it also, you know, it's just all that stay in your lane, keep focus. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then stay away from the drama. Stay away from the drama. <laughs> yeah. Yes, always indeed. important. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, live your life, run your business the way you want to finish your business. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Very good. Well, this has been great. And I think we've just you've covered some great topics and things that will be really helpful. So um, where can people find out more about you? Uh, best place would be uh, GenevieveJack.com. Or you can pick up uh, The Dragon of New Orleans if you haven't uh, tried my work for free right now at any of the retailers. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, you so much. Dragon sh- is it? Are they Dragon Shifters? Yes. Dragon yeah, Shifter, Romantic dragon Fantasy. Shifter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's been great. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll have the links and everything in the show notes, and you can find those at wish I'd known for writers.com. And um, thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.